guys, Jules here. So a couple months ago in the world of Instagram, <laughs> something really cool occurred. Now I'm new to Instagram. I really only joined a few months ago when I launched this podcast. So maybe this kind of thing happens all the time and I just have never seen it before, but it was the first time I saw something like this in Catholic circles and it was so cool. <laughs> a bunch of amazing, talented, fiercely faithful women gathered together digitally to celebrate the arts in an open mic night. There were poets and storytellers and songwriters. I was so impressed by this night that I actually wanted to share some of it with you. So before we begin our episode, I want you to take a listen at how impressive these artists were who gathered for this night. This clip you're about to hear, by the way, is an artist and songwriter by the name of Asia Lynn Rose. There's actually a link to Asia Lynn's GoFundMe page on our website. Please check it out. And by the way, the sound quality is a little prickly because that's how Instagram could be sometimes. <laughs> but the talent is well worth the listen. Every so often it comes like glasses made fleeting mirage that I could see Sometimes I can barely see Turned upside down by what my mind would think behind this? Who were the brilliant forces that put this incredible artistic achievement together in what is by far just one of the best uses of social media that I think I've ever seen? Well, one of the wonderful people that put this together was this gal. I'm Amy O'Connell with Ever Eden Publishing, home of the Ever Eden Literary Journal, and we're based out of Phoenix, Arizona. That's right, folks. Today, we are diving into the world of literary journals and the absolutely brilliant idea behind Ever Eden. So listeners, this is the story of the Ever Eden Literary Journal by women for the church. Like I said a few months ago, Amy O'Connell and Natalie Tansel, the ladies behind the Ever Eden Literary Journal, decided to gather storytellers and artists really from across the country to come together to celebrate Catholic storytelling. Now, for some of you listeners, this idea, an open mic night, might sound a bit out of your comfort zone. <laughs> And perhaps you're thinking, I don't know, of poetry slams with snapping fingers or dive bars with a lone singer and their guitar. And your assumptions aren't super far off. <laughs> but here's the thing. What Amy and Natalie are trying to do is take the very best of the secular literary culture and immerse those talents into the Catholic subculture. If you've watched any of the open mic night, and it was really quite remarkable, there was this real intimacy to it. But more importantly, there was a vulnerability. These artists put themselves willingly into the 
digital world to unveil some of their works, works which they maybe had never shared before. The arts drew something out of them as storytellers and performers, and the arts should stir something in us as well. Watching the vulnerability was inspiring, listening to the stories was encouraging, and encountering good art can stir the soul. So how did this happen? Well, in order to understand this night, we have to learn a little bit more about one of the women who brought all of these storytellers together. I'm Amy O'Connell with Ever Eden Publishing, home of the Ever Eden Literary Journal, and we're based out of Phoenix, Arizona. Amy was born and raised a Catholic in San Jose, California. Like many of us growing up, faith wasn't a real integral part of her identity, that is, until she started attending a non-denominational Christian high school and started meeting peers who had a genuine love for the person of Jesus. Amy encountered students who were not only on fire for Jesus, but these same people, these same students, had a lot of questions for their Catholic peers. But they would ask me questions all the time. For some reason, I just really felt rooted in the fact that I was Catholic, probably just the grace of my baptism and my confirmation. And so I would be asked all the time about what I believed as a Catholic, and they would tell me things. And I went to a bookstore and bought a catechism. And in order to answer their questions, I started reading about my own faith. And it was here where Amy started to take on an adult faith and even began defending her faith amongst her peers. All the while, she too fell in love with the person of Jesus. Kind of was born within me a great and deep desire to not only love God, but to know things about God. Every new thing that you learned about God is a thing to love about Him. Amy went on to go to Arizona State, where she became quickly involved in the Newman Center there. And in particular, she got involved with a group called Quo Vadis. It was this weekly group that Amy started seeking answers to the big questions. What am I doing? Who am I? What does God want from me? (laughs) I think we've all been there. (laughs) And for Amy, she also understood a deeper sense of who she was and her vocation through these groups. She got married pretty soon after college, had three kiddos right away, including a set of twins, and happily lived out her vocation vocation as a wife and mom. But here's the thing, Amy, along with her close friend Natalie, started to notice something. There was a need which wasn't being met in the church, but it was a need which Amy seemed to have a keen eye for noticing. You see, a lot of times we're often most aware of the missing gaps in our church subculture because of the things that we tend to have a love and passion for. For example, I would have never thought about how much the church doesn't talk about vocations to the sciences enough (laughs) if I hadn't myself been married to a science guy. My husband's an engineer. The Lord has placed on each of our hearts an ever keen ability to see what needs should be met based on our own natural desires, likes, and gifts. And for Amy, there was one specific part of her life, her personality, which helped to shape what would happen next. I'm by my own nature kind of a literary nerd. My mom was a librarian, and so I actually grew up 
she would bring me to work with her. So I grew up around books even before I could read them and I could sort them. I knew like basic Dewey decimal <laughs> and I would just like take the books and look at them. I wrote my first book when I was, well, when I was in first grade, I like made up this story about a dog that like travels the world or whatever. And I remember I finished the story. I illustrated it. I wrote it. And my mom took me to Kinko's and I made copies of it and I handed them out at school. And then I stood outside where I usually stood for my lemonade stand and tried to sell them to the neighbors for one dollar. So I just always felt like an author or a publisher. It's kind of just in who I am. I love that story. <laughs> God plants a seed even in our earliest of memories. I wanted to participate in my love of the creative word, like within the base of the actual word of God. So Amy started to keep an eye out for a few things. She started following Catholic blogs, started listening to some Catholic podcasts, and among many of her Catholic literary nerd peers, <laughs> Amy found herself drawn to a familiar face for this podcast, our feisty namesake. Flannery O'Connor. Just the beauty that she's done. I think everyone, if people were thinking of the creative written word, they would point to her as like one of the foremost examples as someone who was, you know, a prolific writer who made a difference and who wrote in the fiction genre. As any of our regular listeners know, we started our entire podcast, our very first episode, making the case for why reading and writing fiction is essential in the spiritual life. But Amy noticed something, which I've also talked about before, but because of Amy's own love and immersion in literary culture, she had an even deeper sense about this. When we speak in the church about Catholic writers, particularly Catholic writers of fiction, it is almost always speaking of it in the past. There is this deep sense of nostalgia, right, for the way things were. <laughs> now, over the years, various lay authors and artists have tried to re-engage the world with Catholic writing, specifically Catholic fiction. We actually did a whole episode on another literary journal called Dappled Things, but very few in the institutional church seem particularly interested in wanting to invest in Catholic writers. Now, luckily for us, Amy and Natalie did want to invest in these up-and-coming Catholic writers. And I thought, you know what? There are Flannery O'Connors of today, and why aren't we hearing from them? Now, Amy has a few theories for why Catholics aren't fully aware or reading modern Catholic authors. First, most of us are reading Catholic writers, probably daily even, but we're reading them in the platforms of our modern era, social media, flash media, and blogs. I think some people are drawn to write creatively, but end up writing in a more practical blog type way, kind of a more of a quick content way, because that's what the platforms are there for. Like our current social media platforms, our current blogs, the current things that people read online are very fast media, fast content. And so if someone wants to be a writer, they look at what there's a platform for. What can they write on? Now, I am not going to belittle social media here. <laughs> I'll be honest, though, I have belittled these platforms in the past. I've engaged in the sort of, well, what about the good old days talk 
among friends. And guess what? It got me nowhere <laughs> because social media is here to stay. And this style of writing doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon either. But there is one central problem with social media and the writing platform it provides, which I do think we need to discuss because it's often overlooked in our discussions about this topic. Here's the thing. Because of the influence of social media, publishers tend to sometimes not look simply at the quality of someone's writing skill or style, but instead looks to who can sell the most books based on their followers. Let me be very, very clear here. This is certainly not always the case. Oh my goodness. And simply because you have a large following doesn't mean you can't also be a good writer. Oh goodness. No, many people have large followings because they are good writers. But it does mean that many people who want to write fear they can't have success in the modern Catholic literary scene because they can't seem to compete with the rising influence of these modern platforms. I personally know one really brilliant author who spent almost a year working on a book for a Catholic publisher only to be told, you just don't have enough followers for us to invest in you. And that should kind of make us stick to our stomach, if I'm being honest. So there's a problem for many writers who have the desire and skill to write creatively within the Catholic subculture. But there's often also a problem among the readers <laughs> who long to read creative works by Catholic writers, but who can't seem to know where to begin. Then I also thought there's tons of Catholics who want to be reading you know, ventures of, of, of good Catholics, but just aren't connected with it. They see lists of writers, you know, that are kind of just doing more classics like they'll, they'll read C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Flannery, but they're not really getting in touch with the kind of modern artists of the word today. opposing problems. Writers who want to write but can't always navigate the modern mediums. And readers who want to read good Catholic writing but don't know where to look. But there's actually a third problem here too. And it's something Amy has thought a lot about. You see, Amy and I actually received a master's degree from the same graduate program, the Augustine Institute. And I can attest to something Amy said. <laughs> In her time at the AI, she was a new mom and she was simultaneously trying to get her master's and raise twins, oh my goodness, while having to read, and she is not exaggerating this, I remember this as well, thousands of pages for her graduate studies. As a mom, especially living my vocation and, you know, a lay person in this world, I realized I only really have a couple minutes at a time to like sit down and read something. So there are three needs in the Catholic writing world. Writers who so desperately want to contribute creatively to the world through their writing. 
readers who so desperately want to read good Catholic writers and for both sets to actually have the time (laughs) necessary to engage with beautiful writings. These three needs interlocking and weaving together to create the absolutely beautiful, amazing, I can't express enough how much I like it, (laughs) the literary journal Ever Eden. So we're going to do what we've done in previous episodes. We're going to talk about the Ever Eden Journal using these three points. But in order to tell this story, I think I need to introduce one more character. So my name is Courtney Kilbasa. Courtney is a contributor to the first ever Ever Eden Journal, which was released a few weeks ago. I thought it would be fun to tell the story of Ever Eden through the lens of one of its writers. And Courtney is no ordinary writer. (laughs) At just 23 years old, she has accumulated an incredible writing portfolio. So much so that not just one, but three, three of her works are featured in the first edition of Ever Eden. So through Courtney's story, we're going to understand why Ever Eden and their mission is so important for the church today. But first, a little bit background on the writer herself. Courtney grew up in Texas, and she went to Texas A&M for her undergraduate. I wrote a thesis on pilgrimage, and that was like the the final the final crowning glory of school. Now, in case you couldn't tell from the thesis, Courtney ended up getting a degree in English, but she didn't actually start out that way. Initially in college, Courtney decided to major in business. She assumed it was just what someone was supposed to do, right? (laughs) She liked interacting with people. It was the responsible thing to do. But her passions lay elsewhere. And she always had a very literary-minded way. She always loved to write, particularly in her spiritual life. There are some people who can have such imaginative prayer with all these images happening, or they're, you know, walking through a Bible scene. And I have never, ever been able to do that, except in very grace-filled moments. But for the most part, I have a hard time holding a bunch of details in my head at one time. And even even when I'm going through a lot, it's hard to hold everything together just in my brain alone. And so I have been a journaler since as early as I can remember. I loved free writing during school. That was always my favorite time is when they just hand us a composition book and say, go ahead and write. And I felt like everything that was contained in my head, but maybe hidden from my view or hard to hold at once, got to just spill out on the page in a way that thinking about it or talking about it didn't. And through this early seed of a love of writing, Courtney often found herself wondering what it would be like to actually study the thing she loved. And all of this came to a head one day in a math class for her business degree. I was sitting around and I had just gotten a book from one of my favorite poets. Her name is Sarah Kay. She is just this incredible, famous poet. She had a TED Talk, I think back in, I want to say 2011 or 2012, that went viral and had spoken word poetry in it. I looked this up, by the way. It's amazing. I posted the video on our website for all of you. Anyway, Courtney found herself in one particular math class immersed in a book of poetry. But good things always seem to come to an end. And my teacher saw me and just berated me for reading. And I mean, I understood a little bit why she was mad, but it wasn't during her teaching. And there was this huge contrast for me between what I was doing and what I wanted to do and what I admired. And I just kind of said, okay, 
there there's an incongruence here between yeah the the things that I think are important in the world and the things that I'm doing right now there are two opposing pulls in Courtney's life a passion for creative writing and a practical impulse to do what she thought she was supposed to do but like all creatives Courtney knew she couldn't run from the passions which God had placed on her heart it wasn't long after this incident in her math class that Courtney switched her major to English which she absolutely loved she's now working for a creative agency, by the way, called Sherwood Fellows, created by the same folks behind the Catholic Creatives Movement. And she's able to follow her passion for writing and wear additional hats around the office. But more importantly for our story, because of her passion for writing and her academic background, Courtney began building up a portfolio of her works and compiling them online. And it is here where our story intersects with hers. You see, as I previously mentioned, I reached out to Courtney because she wrote not just one, but three different works for Ever Eden's first edition. She's featured in fiction, a couple of pieces in creative nonfiction, and how someone so young has so much talent, I just... I don't even know. (laughs) But I asked Courtney how she got involved with the ladies of Ever Eden. I worked for two summers actually in Phoenix with Life Teen. And so Amy's husband, Ryan, and Natalie, um, a couple years back, they, they both work for Life Teen. Through her work at Life Teen, she got to know Natalie and Amy's families, even babysat their kids, and eventually learned about this new project they were working on called the Ever Eden Literary Journal. When they were getting started, I was just so amazed by the idea that they had and just said, however I can be involved, seriously, let me know if that's editing, if that's writing. And they, they found my they found my portfolio and just asked if they could publish a few of my pieces from my online portfolio. And I was really honored because what a cool way to create community and to publicize good writing, not just female writers, but just good writing in general. Yeah, I felt I felt really honored when they asked me to be a part of it. So we've heard the origins of Ever Eden. We've heard the origins of Courtney's own journey into the writing world. So now let's talk about how these things come to intersect and what Courtney's story can show us about how vital something like Ever Eden is right now for the church. So first up, as we mentioned before, Ever Eden is an outlet and platform for often hidden Catholic writers. Here's Amy again. You know, you talk on your podcast a lot about the difference in space of writing for Catholics specifically versus just being a writer and kind of a more broader audience. And the beauty of Ever Eden Literary Journal is that although it is a literary journal that's going out to Catholics, I'm actually making the writers more publishable to secular outlets. Because in this kind of short form publication, when you publish a short story, having your name and the fact that you were published on any publication at all is going to make Tin House look at you, is going to make these bigger journals that have the broader audience look at you and take your work. And so I actually feel like I'm a platform, like I'm holding my hand up and I'm, I'm pushing the writers up saying like, not only are the Catholics now going to know of your work and support you, but also I'm going to help your career and your writing so that way if you want to reach the ends of the earth with your message that's just bringing people closer to truth, beauty, and goodness, 
you know, here's a stepping stone. Whatever Eden does so masterfully is it promotes the writing of Catholic women. And then this writing then inspires more women to write, which God willing will catch the attention of publishing houses, Catholic or not, who then go on to publish more good Catholic writers. It's a beautiful cycle, isn't it? You know, we've been inundated with people, you know, asking us, like submitting to us and asking us about, you know, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Um, you know, actually, because I, I refuse to put like a topic or a genre necessarily, like we'll consider everything. And I keep just saying to them, just tell me the truth and tell it well. Just tell me the truth and tell it well. And let me tell you guys, these writers knocked it out of the park, including Courtney. But one thing I have often thought about as I read these works is how beautiful writing them must have been for the writers themselves. I asked Courtney about this, these potential spiritual fruits for the writing process. I, I started keeping a journal early, early on for prayer. So I would journal, you know, what I had prayed about or even use my journaling time as my prayer time um, just to work through things or reflect on Bible verses or that sort of thing. But when I started writing more seriously, more creatively, yeah, I found that it, that it engaged the story part of my brain and engaged the image part of my brain that nothing else did. And so even when I'm writing a fiction piece that has no mention of Jesus or of God or of prayer, I found that I could be enveloped in a world, I think in the way that Jesus would when he told parables or yeah, that, that psalmists could when they were writing psalms. And so I found the act of writing did slow me down, but also allowed everything to be put on the page all at once in a way that just thinking about it or keeping it contained in my head couldn't. Amy echoed these sentiments connecting as so many Catholic authors have over the years. The process of writing to the creative act of God himself. You know, I always return to in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, right? And and what was that word? The word was his son, the, the living word, Jesus Christ. And I, I think about that all the time, that the word that God spoke was his son that created the world. To me, I just feel like it's such a participatory act. The way that history was passed down throughout the centuries in, in an oral tradition, in a storytelling format, stories are ingrained within us. And although we can show them in all sorts of forms, there's nothing like writing something down and then saying it and feeling it actually like actualized. Ever Eden is attempting to do what very few people have been able to. They are trying to spark a renewal of the creative written word in Catholic culture. And we, the readers, are the ones who reap the benefits. You have to trust me on this one. <laughs> Which brings me to part two. Ever Eden as a gift to all of us, and more importantly, how we can encounter our Lord through the stories on a page. I just basically, I see something that literally means love and fan out about, and I know that there's another group of people who would really, really enjoy it, <laughs> but it's not accessible to them. One thing I've heard a lot over the past few months, I think because many of our stories have had a bit of a literary bent, is how many times we feel as if we aren't equipped 
to venture into the world of well-written and perhaps higher class, I don't really like that phrase, but you get the picture, that kind of highbrow Catholic literature. For example, I can't tell you how many times people have told me that they just can't stand poetry, right? (laughs) Because it seems like it wasn't written for them. And in many ways, they're right. The world of poetry is often written for a kind of higher select class, right? People with masters of fine arts or just basically other poets. (laughs) And that's why when poets come along who are accessible to the masses in American culture, I'm thinking people like Wendell Berry or Mary Carr. I love a black American poet named Eloise Greenfield. She reminds me of this too. When these accessible poets come along, they are remarkably popular. Now you must trust me here, listeners, when I say Ever Eden's writers have done something many thought impossible to do. They've created beautiful, truthful pieces which are actually accessible to everyone. And this accessibility allows us, the reader, to understand and analyze the stories, perhaps in ways we might not always do when reading a general work of fiction. And because the writing stems from devout Catholic women, we get the sense that something else is at work in the stories, even if the stories themselves aren't deliberately Catholic. Here's what Courtney said is her process when she thinks about the power of her stories. So for me, writing is also an exercise in seeing the connections and seeing the symbols and metaphors and narratives that are woven through the everyday, but might not necessarily be apparent if I'm just speeding by. Good writing lends itself to making connections between the words we see on a page to the moral applications in our everyday lives. This is the power of good writing. And the coolest thing to me about everything is the way it does this through a variety of styles and genres. Which brings me to part three. How are we to find the time to read and write good Catholic works? Well, it's here where what I think Natalie and Amy did is just genius. Follow me for a minute here. Amy and Natalie deliberately included all kinds of writing in their literary journal. Like I have stated often in other episodes, sometimes when Catholics, particularly in academic circles, talk about the decline of Catholic writers today, and just, ugh, don't get me started on this, (laughs) they are almost always referencing fiction. But lest we forget, there are actually other ways to write outside of fiction. And the beauty of Ever Eden is it gives space to all of it. And this really allows for it in terms of uh, having short stories, poems, flash fiction, short creative essays. It can really allow people who would normally be reading these kinds of things to really try it out. There is this lie that many of us have often been led to believe in what I'll call our intellectual faith journeys. For a long time, I struggled to find my footing in Catholic intellectual circles um, or even in circles of traditional Catholics because I never seemed to read the things that I was supposed to be reading. When my Catholic friends were reading Jane Austen, I was reading Modern Chiclet. (laughs) When my friends were reading Harry Potter, I was reading science fiction. When every Catholic known to man seemed to fawn over Brideshead Revisited, I slogged my way through it and still to this day can't seem to stomach it. (laughs) 
And I have a podcast all about the Catholic arts and literary culture. There are times, if I'm being honest, when I felt like a bit of a phony. But Ever Eden is a reminder that one, we're all different, right? There's a time and a season for all of it. And as the Lord speaks to each of our personalities in different ways, in different genres. But two, beautiful writing is not limited to some highbrow select few. It is for all of us. And when we engage with this type of writing, even in the small, short format of Ever Eden, our lives are enriched and changed for the better. can see the leaves are changing and the geese flying overhead it would be a silly observation to say that all is dead and I can hear There's one more aspect to the structure of the journal, which I absolutely love. Natalie and Amy both recognize the uphill battle they're facing in the lives of everyday Catholics, particularly women. Over the years, with the arrival of smartphones and social media, our brains have slowly adapted to a shorter and shorter form of writing or writing style. Many of us now, because of the amount of time we spend on our phones and the type of things we're reading, like social media posts, short blogs, or what's often referred to as flash blogging, right? Our minds are slowly losing the ability to engage with texts for longer periods of time. I've seen this in my own life, but long fiction or spiritual writings can often seem daunting and maybe even impossible in the busyness and the chaos of our lives. But someone's short reflection on Instagram or a brief witty tweet yeah 
I can handle that. (laughs) I read a great description of this phenomenon recently. The writer is a tech journalist by the name of Catherine Price. And in her book, How to Break Up with Your Phone, (laughs) she called this process an intensely focused state of distraction. And here's the thing. Because of this, some of the longest standing literary journals all over the country are actually shutting down down because people are not engaging with long form texts in the way that they once were. Now, Amy would not say that this was a good thing, (laughs) right? None of us should think that. (laughs) But what Amy and Natalie decided to do, well, basically they said this, you know what? We are not going to overwhelm our readers, especially busy women, with long form essays and stories. We're going to write shorter concise flash fiction and creative nonfiction, not simply because the art form is beautiful, I actually think it is, but to assure all of us that we have the time to engage with this writing. I, I love, I, I just view them as such separate art forms. To say something in 3,500 words versus to say something in 800 words, but to have a substantial story come out of each, you know, it's just really beautiful to see. In case you haven't already noticed, I'm kind of a fangirl <laughs> of what Amy and Natalie are doing. And honestly, of all the writers like Courtney. I have tried to argue many times in this podcast and basically we'll spend the entire next season arguing this too, more on that later by the way, (laughs) that the arts are meant to be accessible to all of us. Good art has a way of capturing and inspiring all peoples. And even if something is outside of your taste or your comfort zone or is challenging to read and understand, good art which communicates truth and goodness can and should challenge each of us not just women, to go out and proclaim the good news to the broader culture as well. And so, dear listener, I'm going to end our episode today with a tagline. The tagline for the Ever Eden Literary Journal is by women for the church. And I'm going to let Courtney explain its significance. God bless you listeners, and we'll see you in a few weeks. And the tagline is by women for the church. And I think that's so important to recognize that women's voices aren't just, I mean, obviously it's a good thing that women's voices are for each other, right? Community building, but also that in a place where sometimes women's speakers or female speakers are only women's night speakers or yeah, a a female voice is only used in just female communities. I think to, to have a have a mission that let's curate some of the best writing from women so the whole church can see the feminine genius. Thank you so, so, so much to the wonderful people behind Ever Eden, Amy, Natalie, Courtney, and the amazing contributors to the first edition of the Literary Journal. Thank you, thank you to Jay and Joe for letting me use their song, Gray Sky. I can't tell you how much I love their album, Grounded Light. They are actually about to fundraise for a new project. There is a link on our website. Please, please visit it. And if you remember the artist at the top of the show, thank you, Asia Lynn Rose, by the way, whose artwork will grace the cover of the next 
Ever Eden Literary Journal. In case you missed it, that are three ways that you can contribute to the arts this Lent. Jay and Joe's new album, Asia Lynn's new album, or buying or subscribing to the new Ever Eden Literary Journal. Please, please think about this as you pray about your almsgiving this Lent. Think about um, just contributing to the arts in that journey. Remember, when you encounter beauty, it not only changes your mood, <laughs> but it also fills your soul. So here are three ways that you could help do that this Lent. We'll be back, folks. Actually, just one week this time, we'll be taking beauty into the realm of adventure with a Catholic comic book series that is so good. I can't wait to introduce you all to it. God bless you. We'll see you then.